0: to have Sammy Hagar here today, and so uh, I was waiting for you to do a herky off the back of that, Michelle. That was great. Yeah, this is one of my, I, you know, I appreciate the band so much because I, I, I picked that song for a couple of reasons, one, because of the message today, two, I just want to see if they could do it. And uh, they do a great job, and so they've worked extra, uh, obviously they work hard all the time, but extra hard and going through this series of messages that we're doing. So uh, y- y'all thank y'all very much for, uh, for what y'all do, and so we're grateful for that. Uh, today we are concluding our Rock Theology Volume 3 series. And so uh, we wanted to end it off by, by talking about love. Now obviously it's a tremendously popular subject, Uh, but it is a when you talk about love and you try to define love and you try to you know write it down exactly what it is it is very difficult to sort of get your hands around it and it can be a very confusing subject a a number of years ago there was a children's book that was uh, written about love and it said love is like a crayon because it comes in all colors and so there's some kids that were asked questions hey what is love how do you define it Uh, How do you live it out? And I I liked a couple of the responses I'll share with you. Uh, One was a little girl named uh, Camille. She's 9 years old. And she was asked, how do you get someone to fall in love with you? And she said, it's pretty easy. She said, you shake your hips and hope for the best. So that's 9-year-old wisdom right there. Um, Another girl was asked about love. Her name was Tammy. She was 10 years old. She was asked about kissing. And she said, it is something you should never do. Uh, she said, I used to kiss boys all the time, and they slobber on you, and so I no longer kiss. So you might want to put that one uh, down in your little book as well. And then, uh, of course, so you had to get a boy involved. Uh, a kid named Bob was asked if he could, he was nine years old, asked if he could come up with an original love song. He said, yes, and he said, here it is. I'm in love with you most of the time, but don't bother me when I'm with my friends. So I, I, I read that one. I thought that kid's going to be paying alimony for like the rest of his life. Uh, so, so love is something that is, I mean, it, it's fun to talk about. It, it's, you know, it gives people goosebumps, that, you know, people want to live for love. There are even people who die for love. But the question is, what is it? You know, wh- what is love? How do we define it? You know, how do we, we kind of put it in, a, in such a context that we're able to get our, our hands around it? Well, I really believe this. I believe that the best place that we can look to for the definition of love and what it's all about is in Scripture and uh, there's a very p- uh, famous passage of Scripture that deals with love and for those of you who are married probably a lot of you had this passage of Scripture read in your wedding and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and in 1 Corinthians 13 it is known as the love chapter and it's a chapter where Paul talks about talks about love and he gives a definition of love and he, he mentions to us that it's it's not just simply talk, but it's also action. And so, if you have your Bible, if you want to, you can turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to look in verse number four. And uh, what we discover about Corinth, Corinth was an interesting town. Uh, it's a town that's located now. It's in modern day Greece, uh, but Corinth was it was a port city. A lot of people traveled through it, but they had a temple there that was a temple. To the uh, Greek goddess Aphrodite And of course she is the goddess of love But the kind of love that she espoused And what this temple espoused Was totally different than the love that scripture talks about uh, This kind of love that they, they had in, in Corinth It was a very, a very perverted view of love There were over a thousand temple prostitutes there And so in this city there was a lot of sexual immorality And that's how, how they defined love And unfortunately, this immorality had worked its way into the church. And so Paul felt a need to address the church about love, to talk to them what love was, to talk to them about the true definition of love and what God has to say about it. And it was a tough message for the people of Corinth to take in. And one of the reasons why for the church is they were a very gifted people. I mean, God had really blessed them. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look in chapter 1, in, in verses 5 through 7, Paul said this about them. He said, for in him, in Jesus, he said, you've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. And then Paul said, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So this was a church that had a lot going for them. I mean, they'd been gifted by God. God, he said, I've given you every gift that there is. But unfortunately, they had a very perverted view as to what love was. And that needed to be corrected. Because whenever you talk about the Christian faith, one of the the hallmarks of the Christian faith is love. And we better be right on love if we're going to be Christians and we're going to serve our community and we're going to serve our God. So so what is the definition of love? Well, when I look at this text today, I see a few different observations or definitions of love that can help us out. And the very first thing that I see about love that Paul talks about is this. Love isn't free. Love is not something that's free, but it actually comes with a cost. Uh, this is what Paul wrote. He said in verse 4, love is patient. So love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not conceited does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. Now back in the 1960s and 70s, and since y'all are, nobody remembers those days in here, but the 60s and 70s, there's a little phrase that was called free love. So we can have free love. Now the idea there was that you could have free love or you could have sexual relationships and there's no strings attached. Now, guys, anytime you talk about something free, I just want to share, share this with you. It ain't true. There, there is nothing that's free. I mean, we, we've heard before, and the, one of the phrases that we've heard is there's no such thing as a free what? Free lunch. It's not free lunch. That's why I, every time I hear people talk and, and being government or politicians, hey, we're going to give you free education and free health care and all these different things, and I just sit there and think, yeah, no, you're not. It ain't free because somebody's paying for it. You know who's paying for it? You are. And I digress a little bit, but, but I just want to share with you, when you talk about free things, there's nothing free. And when you say that there's something called free love, that is absolutely not true. Now, the kind of love that the Corinthians were practicing, it was, a, it was a love that was perverted. And Paul said, listen, love is not about talk. Love is it's a way that you live. It is an, an action in your life. And unfortunately, perverted view had invaded the church. And what they had is they had a performance-driven love. And many of us, we have a performance-driven love. You know, I I will love you if you will love me. If you do good things for me, then I will be nice to you. And so that is a performance-driven love. You know, now if you fail me, or if you don't give me good things, or you let me down, then I'm not going to love you. Well, that is not the kind of love that Scripture talks about. As a matter of fact, in the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 6, the, the, the Christians in the church were practicing performance-driven love. And whenever they messed up, you will see, as you, if you read through 1 Corinthians, there were Christians who were taking each other to court, and they were suing one another. And Paul said, that is not, that is not biblical love. That's not how you do it. And, and how is that a testimony to the world if we love other people like they love people they say, you know, you don't, Your life's not any different than mine Why in the world would I want to be a follower of Jesus? And Jesus himself mentions this in Matthew 5, 46 and 47 He said, for if you love those who love you well, What reward is that to you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers What are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? And so as I was reading the scripture, I I started thinking, you know, what is my definition of love? And I want you to think the same thing. What is, how do you define love? Is your love more like a biblical love, or is it like the way the world loves? Is it a performance-driven love? And I thought sometimes in my own life, I can look at my own life, and I come away thinking, you know, my fear is that a lot of times the way I love is more in common with the world ...than it is with how God calls us to love. So, So how are we supposed to love according to what God says? Well, Paul mentions a couple of insights for us. One, he lets us know that love has a cost. He said if you're really going to love according to how God calls us to love... ...he said there's a cost that comes with it. And one of those costs that comes with it is your love is supposed to be patient with others. And you know, whenever you decide that you're going to love... ...that that's going to involve relationships... And, and whenever you're involved in a relationship, you quickly discover that, that people are messy. That everything doesn't always work out the way that you have, have it all you know, charted out in your life. Because people mess up. Uh, now we know this. If you're a parent, you know that relationships are messy. Because you have children, right? And children are messy. When you first have children, this is particularly true physically. I mean, I remember when, when we had our kids and there were times that every once in a while I would actually change diapers. And I remember sitting there when changing diapers and I'm thinking, I'm sitting there going, I cannot believe I'm doing this. I mean, any no guy ever thought, you know what, I can't wait to change diapers. And then it starts happening, like I can't believe I'm doing this. Now now why do we do stuff like that? Other than, you know, we're hoping our wives will like us more. Well, why do we do that? We do it for a simple reason. Because we love our kids. And so you're willing to put up with the mess because you love your kids. Now, Emily and I both did those things in the great expectation and hope that there would be a day when they would start taking care of themselves. And so love, it's, it's patient. It, it carries with it a cost. That word patient is a really interesting word. It means long-suffering. Long-suffering. Isn't that interesting? Patient means long-suffering. Now, I sit there and I look at it and say, how many of y'all enjoy suffering for long? Not me. I don't enjoy it. So why in the world would I want to have a love like this? Because that's how God loves you. Romans 5 8 says, God has demonstrated his own love towards us in this. In that while we were yet sinners, it says that Christ died for us. Now, Christ is patient with us because he wants to see our lives transformed. He is patient with us because he cares about us and he knows that as he's patient with us that we will respond better to him. He's trying to win us over. I look at at verse number five and it says, and not only is love patient, but it also tells me that love keeps no record of wrongs. no such thing as free love. Yeah, if you love someone, not only you're going to be patient with them but you're not going to keep any record of wrongs now I'm not saying that this means that you just let people you know walk all over you and there's there's that you know they just go hey it doesn't matter I'm just like a doormat for you that's not what it's talking about but love does not keep a record of wrongs in this way uh, yesterday I went to I went to Sand Hills on a Saturday and I will never do that again there's a lot of people there and so we were, I, was, I took my daughter out she wanted to go shopping so you know, we went over to the uh, we went to TJ Maxx God. And so we were over there, I'm sure it's a great store, but we were over there, and there's all these people, and it's inevitably, when you're in a big place with a parking lot, there's always a kid that you see running across the parking lot, and there's a mother right behind that kid saying, stop, Johnny! You know, he's running out, and, you, you know, and you're sitting there, and you're like, oh man, this kid is going to get it. And, so she, and she grabs the kid, and she yanks him over there, and she's like yelling at him, which she should have done. I'm not saying that's anything wrong with that. But, uh, th- th- so anyway, so if it, and you know that kid, he's going to do it again. You know, eventually he's going to end up running, running back out into traffic. Now, when that happens, and this, if you're a parent, this happened to you as well. When that happens, does the, does the mother or father, when they see them running out, out again, stop and go, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to stop them this time because I won't hurt the feeling. You know, or I'm not going to stop them this time because that's really what they want. And so I'm going to let them make their own decision and that life choice. Do, do parents do that? Not good ones. What do they do? Now if it's a dad, the dad's running over and he's grabbing that kid up by the scruff of his neck and he's, he finds a dead squirrel and so you do that again, that is you. you know, that's what your future is. Now, now he does that because it's not because he's like just mean, but it's because he loves that kid. And, and it's not that he's going to overlook a wrongdoing, but he, he's patient with the kid. He wants to teach the kid so that there will be a day when he learns how to look both ways. And that, that is the idea that Paul has. He's, you know, a, a parent doesn't, if he keeps doing it, a parent doesn't go, you know what, I'm just, you know, I'm done with that kid. I'm, no, I'm not going to forgive him anymore. It doesn't just write him off. He, he content, a parent continues to teach and to love that kid so that their life one day will be changed. Now, if you do that, if you're really going to love people, here's the deal. Love's not free. Love is Risky. There's costs that come with loving people like this because people will let you down. People will disappoint you. But that's the way God loves us. And that's what real love is. Now, now real love, is it's, it's not free, but here's another definition of love that I see in our text today. Love is it's considerate. Love is considerate. In, in verse number 6, it says this about love. It says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness. But it rejoices in the truth. Yeah, you know, I, I when I, I enjoy, I like enjoy play, playing like games or playing sports, and it's not that i ever have ever been any good at any of them. But when I play something, just in general, I play to win. You know, I see people say, "Oh, we're just gonna play for fun," and I think, "Well, count me out." You know I don't play for fun. You know, if I'm playing a game, trouble. play my daughter, man, it's vicious, and we're playing, I'm playing to win, baby, and so that's the deal, and so I like to play to win, now, now sometimes I can allow that competitiveness to be uh, sort of childish, Um, now the scripture says love is considerate, and and there's been a lot of times in life when I've not been considerate of others, I will put myself before somebody else, I can play golf with somebody, they're hitting the ball over the water, and in my mind I'm thinking, shank, you know, and that's awful, now, because I am a Christian now, that I don't do those kinds of things. But whenever somebody has that mentality of I'm putting myself before someone else, then that is, I mean, it's very inconsiderate, and no one wants to be around a person like that anyway. But whenever Christ comes into your life and you love biblically, what's interesting is what's going to happen is you're going to begin to think of people before you do yourself. Um, I, one of the great things about YouTube is people will send me videos, and some of them are are really good. And one of the videos I received was in a, of a, a, a softball college softball championship game, and uh, it was a small college where they're playing the championship game. And this girl named Sarah came up to bat, and she hit her first ever home run. Her team won the game; was going to win the game. She was running to first base. She missed first base. She stopped and turned around to touch it. When she did, she blew her knee out. And she went to the ground, and she was crawling, trying to crawl to first base. Now, she was trying to crawl over there. Her her team couldn't come out and help her, because if if they did, then she would be out. But here's what was interesting. The, The opposing team in the infield saw the girl trying to get to first base, and they walked over to her, and they picked Sarah up, and they helped her touch first, second, third, and home plate. Okay, now my thought is, why would you do that? I mean, because he just lost the game. Now, they lost the game, but they gave a great picture of what it means to love. It means to put others before yourself. Now, that is considerate. It is thinking of others first. Paul, Paul says, you know, we, we don't rejoice in other people's shortcomings. We don't root against people. We want to cheer people on now sometimes we like to do that I believe because it makes us feel like we're superior to others but but Paul says we cheer others on now why do we do that because guys let me tell you something in this world we need each other and the world is in a place now where where they need to see people coming together loving and caring for one another Paul wrote this in Galatians 6 1 and 2 he says brothers if someone's caught in any wrongdoing you who are spiritual should restore such a person restore them with a gentle spirit Watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Real love does not find joy in other people's failures. Real love supports others and lifts people up. Now, why would we do that? We do that because there's going to be a time when you and I fall into a pit, and we need help. And we need someone to come alongside us and to pull us up as well. Now, now, I'm sure this verse was written in response to the way the Christians in Corinth were living. They were throwing each other under the bus. They were trying to get, you know, trying to get a leg up on other people that were within the church. And Paul said, this, is, this has nothing to do with the biblical kind of love. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote about it in 2 second, in second Corinthians 12.20. He said, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want. And you can read on, and this is what was going on in the church. He says there's, there's quarreling, there's jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Now, that those are not headlines for any church that are going to be good. But, but here's what I'm learning. There, is, there, is, there really is, there is great joy when people really love each other. There's great joy when people in the church as believers come together and and we support one another and we hold each other up. There's something powerful that happens whenever we see people that have fallen off of the path that God has intended for us and we are able to help them get back on the right track. So instead of us beating each other up, instead of us trying to one-up another person, we are to support one another. That's not easy to do, but that's our calling. That's love. Another thing love does, real love, you know what love does? It, it also tells the truth. It, and it rejoices in the truth. That's what our text says. Love will rejoice in the truth. Well, what does truth do? You know what truth does? It, 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 oftentimes it rescues people. Just because somebody who really loves them just told them the truth. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, do not be deceived. Paul said, I want to tell you the truth. So, do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers will see the kingdom of God. And he says, but some of you were like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And here's the deal none of us is better than anybody else. But Paul says, I'm going to tell you the truth. He says that you can't just simply choose to live like you want to live, and it's like no big deal. He says there are, there are standards that God has. He says, but even there are many of you, who have stepped outside of God's bounds, but Jesus, by his grace and truth, has stepped in, and he can rescue you and save your life. People need to hear the truth. Only Jesus can rescue and change a person's life and their heart. So, so what's the definition of love? You know, love's not free. Love's considerate. It's going to tell the truth. Now here's another thing about love. Love lasts. Love is enduring. Verse 7. It says, love, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now if you, if you look right there again at the verse number 7, the very beginning, it says it bears all things. That word bears, it is a picture of a roof. And what love does is love is like a roof over a person's head that protects them from the elements. That, that is love. You know, when you love someone, you are, you're going to do whatever you can in order to protect them. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep your love for one another at full strength, since love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, when we love each other, we're going to protect each other. You know, whenever, uh, you know, if, if you love someone, if you love your, when I, because I love my family, um, if, if somebody wants to do harm to my family because I love them, then that person is going to know before I get to their family, I'll have to go through that person that loves them. You're the same way. Now, when you love someone, you're going to protect those that you love, that you care about. You're a protector. You do that with your children. When you love your children, you see them doing things they shouldn't do. What do you do? You, you come over and you try to shelter them and protect them. From, from the bad things in the world, you, you try to inform them, you tell them the truth. So if you hang out over here and you do these things, these are the consequences that come with that. You do whatever you can in order to cover them and protect them. Now I'm going I'm to tell you that, that when, I, when I love, that I'm going to protect. When God loves you, because God does love you, God is going to protect you. And here's a cool thing to know, God, God does love you. John 3, 16, for God so loves who? The world. He loves you. And because he loves you, he's going to do all that he can to protect you, but leave the decision up to you. But here's his desire for you. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But it says, but for all to come to repentance. God's love for you is forever. Forever. God's love for you is faithful. God's love for you will never quit. It is always there, and it will always be. God, very simply, loves you. Now, now it's easy sometimes for us to think, whenever we think of success, and we see people who do well, we think, well, they were able to be successful because everything just went their way. They had it handed to them, or nothing ever went wrong for them. This, the secret to most people's success is very simple, it's persistence. This is faithfulness. It's hanging in there when things get tough. A lot of different examples of this. Colonel Sanders, commercials are coming back now. Colonel Sanders, you know it took him over a thousand visits before somebody finally bought his finger licking good recipe. Over a thousand visits. Thomas Edison, 10,000 failures, over 10,000 failures before he produced a successful light bulb. Uh, the guy who started FedEx, he came up with a business plan when he was in college. You know what grade he got for it? An F. <laughs> that professor was a genius. <laughs> uh, Sylvester Stallone auditioned over 1,000 times, turned down over 1,000 times. He was down to his last $600 when he had a producer who said, I like your script for the movie Rocky. There's a man named Ray Koch, or Kroc, who was the founder of McDonald's. Here's what he said about persistence, about not quitting. He said, Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. He said, Talent will not. He said, There's nothing more common than unsuccessful men with great talent. He said, Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. He said, Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. So what's the key? He said, Persistence, determination. love he said those three things they are omnipotent okay that's love that is how God loves you he loves you faithfully he loves you to a place where he will never quit because he believes because he knows that when you respond to his love he will transform your life so here's a question What what is love you know, what does love, what, what does it mean? How does it play out in our lives? So here, here's one thing I know, love is not free. Love is considerate, and love lasts. Now the question is, do you know the love of God? You see, before we can love like that, we have to receive the love of God, because that is something that is supernatural to love, like, like our scripture tells us about in 1 Corinthians 13. And it could be there some of you today, and you need to respond to the love of God. God loves you. I, ho- I hope you know that more than anything. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter how you've lived your life up to this point. I want you to know God loves you. And he calls for you to respond to his love and to give yourself to him. And you can do that. You can just simply talk to him in prayer and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I, want, I belong to you, Lord. Forgive me. I believe in you, and I will trust in you. Now, there are others of us, as as Christians, and we need to practice love. Not a a performance-driven love, but we need to practice love where we are willing to pay a cost, to pay the price, to be patient, to pray for, to lift up, to speak truth into the lives of people that are around us. Our world needs to see love. Not the love of the world, the love of God. Well, what is love? It's patient. It's kind. doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. It doesn't act improperly. It's not selfish. It's not provoked. And it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. May we live like that. May we be a church. May we be believers that live in Christ's love. So tell me why this feeling.